The Viewpoint, weekdays, 8 to 10 p.m. on SAFM. The Viewpoint. Weekdays, 8 to 10 p.m. Good evening and thank you very much for tuning into The Viewpoint on SAFM. My name's Chris Vick. Tonight we're taking a journey through the world of marijuana. We've got people on the show who grow it, people who smoke it, people who bake with it, people who use its oil as medicine, and even someone who can keep you out of jail if you get caught with some. Promises to be a great show. Stay with us while we inhale a bit of Peter Tosh. Some call it the weed. Point where tonight we're discussing cannabis, marijuana, zol, cheese, whatever you want to call it. Everyone seems to have an opinion on it. And tonight we're going to get a range of different viewpoints on precisely that. But don't worry, it's not all about getting stoned. There are much more important issues relating cannabis that we're going to be discussing in this first hour, and particularly how cannabis oil can be used for medicinal purposes. It's a largely unknown topic, but we've got two very fine minds in the studio to help us understand it. Writer Lucy 
Page? Page? Page. Page. <laughs> French accents, man. <laughs> who spent years researching the subject and uses cannabis oil herself. And her husband, Jay Naidu, former trade unionist, former cabinet minister, a man of peace, and a grandfather. Congratulations, <laughs> Dave. <laughs> great, man. It's really good to have you here on the first show. Thank you very much. We're going to be taking quite a mature approach to cannabis oil. I mean, it's a serious topic. It's not something to play with. Um, so welcome to you both. It's great to have you here. Um, there was some big news from government yesterday around uh, the legalization of cannabis oil. They've issued the first five licenses uh, for people to grow it. One of the places is when you fly into King Shaka Airport in Durban, there's an area called Dubai, Dubai Trade Port. So next time you fly into Durban, have a look down at the greenhouses. There's some real green growing there. That's going to be used by one of the five companies that's been given a license to grow cannabis for medicinal purposes. Lucy, a lot of people talk about it. A lot of people think about it. But you know about it. You've spent the last four years, is that right, researching cannabis oil. That's right. Just, just explain to people what it is, how it's made, what it does, and particularly what it's done for you. Well, it saved my life. <laughs> I would be six feet under right now. I suffer from a very rare uh, form of menopause, a fatal menopause if you do nothing. Uh, if I do nothing, uh, I go through organ shutdown. Mm -hmm. um, I have hot flushes every 20 minutes, so strong I vomit. Uh, 24 hours a day, seven days a week. I can't think, write, uh, talk, uh, eat, or sleep. So if you can't eat or sleep, last time was 116 hours without wow. sleeping, with the, and I lost four and a half kilos yeah. in those five days. So um, when I discovered this, uh, totally by a mistake, by a coincidence, it was my, Jay's, uh, my husband's 60th birthday, and someone arrived with pot muffins, mm -hmm. and I took one, and I... I was fine for 24 hours, no symptoms, no nothing. And then I, I couldn't understand what was happening. And Jay said, maybe it's the weed. I said, Jay, weed. How can weed cure a fatal kind of menopause? Mm. But then, then I arrived home uh, in Joburg. And the first thing I did was ask my son to go get me some because I had an answer. I was in hospital. I was on drugs, four kinds of drugs, big pharma things. I was suffering. I didn't have a life. And so I asked my son to become a criminal for me to stay alive. And that's when I realized there's something very serious here. And as I was doing my research, I'm a journalist I'm mm -hmm. a, and I do investigative journalism. So uh, I use my skills to uh, rake through the 100 years of fake news we have because we, it's just since 1937, it's illegal almost all over the world. But the first country in the world was South Africa in 1911. To make weed for, illegal. Yes, for, for wow. racist and Ironic. political reasons. Mm. So what I discovered is... Um, Something very disturbing because since 1992, the endocannabinoid system has been discovered in the, in the human being. And it plays a role in our sleep, appetite, digestion, moods, motor functions, immune functions, reproduction, fertility, pleasure, memory, regulation of temperature and pain. That's pretty much everything. And huh? we don't study it in the mm. medicine schools. Mm. Now, what cannabis does, there's about, I'll, I'll make a round figure, 100 cannabinoids in the cannabis. We talk of CBD a lot recently, CBG, CBN, and THC. THC is the cannabinoid that makes what they call you high. Although you do develop a resistance, uh, not a resist, a tolerance to it if you take it after a few weeks. I've been taking cannabis oil every day for the last four years and I'm I function, I'm normal, I'm, I'm like I didn't have anything. So the THC is the medicine. The THC is also now known to kill cancer cells. It mm -hmm. provokes the suicide of the cancer cell. I have friends, personal friends that cured their cancer stage 3, some stage 4, sent home to die. They've cured with cannabis oil. Um, we have an amazing medicine uh, which um, can be, uh, no one ever died from it. And we're not using it in hospitals. We're not using it nowhere. It's not accessible. Uh, and I know people that treat their multiple sclerosis with it. We have complete cures, Crohn's disease. We treat Alzheimer, Parkinson, glaucoma, over 100 diseases and 700 symptoms. And, and, and do you have a doctor? I mean, because I often find doctors, GPs, specialists are very averse to no, they what they think of alternative medicine. I mean, what, what, what was your yes. doctor saying at the time? Well, my doctor said you're not allowed to heal like that. Mm. So I changed doctor. 
others. And I have a, I'm a legal patient in Canada. So we're talking of the same plant. The, that plant in Canada is accessible medically. And I have a cannabis doctor in Canada. Here in South Africa, some doctors are referred to me. Some doctors are to my oil, where I get my oil, they refer their patients to them. So with, there's some diseases that have developed because we have stripped nature of all hemp and cannabis, like fibromyalgia. Mm. It's now known that it's a syndrome of the endocannabinoid, uh, the, uh, the syndrome of deficiency of the endocannabinoid system. So if we would put that back in nature, we would clear a lot of autoimmune diseases. It's been proven it's from that. And we would save... Um, We'd save a lot of money and we'd save a lot of problems. It can even, even like hemp, it detoxifies the soil in one year instead of 20 years mm. naturally. Mm. We have a, a, a solution for climate change. This, uh, uh, it has economic value, spiritual value, and yes, recreational value, but I think the recreational, um, talk that is happening is excluding the most important aspect which is the medicinal value it's a very high medicinal value in fact it's the most important medicinal plant the planet has we've been using it for 12,000 years except in the past 80 something years so we're living in the one percent of the time in history where it hasn't been used for political reasons and greed and corruption and yellow journalism and my fight is to bring it back to where it belongs in our hospitals in our medicine cabinet and in our bodies and in our fields. Well, I just want to bring you in here, Andrew Laurie. You're, you're an associate at Schindler's Attorneys in Santon. And on your website, you profess to be the boffins, right? I mean, you really understand the law and, and cannabis. What's the legal situation in terms of cannabis oil in South Africa? Lucy spoke about sending her son out to break the law to, to yeah. keep her alive. Yeah. What's the legal reality? Well, the legal reality post the Constitutional Court judgment um, is a lot more black and white than people would like to think. Uh, the Constitutional Court has made it quite clear that the uh, sale and purchase of cannabis is still unlawful. Um, unfortunately, that's that's just the state of the state of the time right now. Um, there is some progressive thinking in the sense that we have medical licenses that have been issued, as you alluded to earlier. Um, now, these licenses are using machinery, legal machinery that's been around for a long time. It's the Medicines and Related Substances Control Act. Um, these licenses have been available. It's just the first time that they've been applied to agricultural undertakings, such as cannabis. So presently, if you have one of these Section 22C licenses, all it really enables you to do is grow cannabis, make extractions of it, and export it. There's a lot of red tape um, in the South African cannabis law regime I can see Lucy shaking her head, yeah. Um, yeah, let me start by saying we're always the bearers of bad news. We are just here to tell you how the law is. We have no role in actually making it, and we're actually putting a lot of effort into trying to liberalize the cannabis trade. So so if someone is making cannabis oil at the moment, and hopefully they're making it properly, they're not just chucking pips in olive oil and pretending it's cannabis oil, but if they're doing it properly, yeah. what do they do with it? Um, can they only use it themselves or export it to somewhere else yeah, so in the, the world? So the constitutional court judgment, um, if you're a private person, what it's allowed you to do is to use, possess, and cultivate cannabis in private if you're an adult. So currently we have the freedom to grow and make extractions of enough just for ourselves. So someone like Lucy who has the capability to create her own extractions to treat herself would be allowed to do that. But however, in as much as you'd be able to get it from a medical doctor, there's still a lot of red tape in that sense. Right now, if one were to try and get a cannabis-based medicine on the market, um, it's about a five-year process just mm -hmm. to register that single medicine before it can be sold by pharmacists and prescribed by doctors. Obviously, that position is a bit untenable. Five years is a long time to wait. And on a strict interpretation of our law right now, each and every strain would have to be registered as its own medicine. It's not exactly an enabling environment. Not exactly eh? I mean, it seems like the more things, yeah. the, the more the more progressive things become, the more obstacles there are that are put in place with vested interests. Am I right? Yeah, that's right. Um, and the obstacles have been there for a long time. We're chipping away at them um, case by case. But currently, yeah, there there is no local legal cannabis trade right okay. now. It's filtering all outside of South Africa. All right, my name's Chris Vick. You're listening to The Viewpoint on SAFM. We're talking about cheese, marijuana, dacha, zol, whatever you want to call it, cannabis. Give us a call if you want to. We're going to take a quick break. Uh, you can also get me on Twitter if you like. My Twitter handle is chrisvick3. This Saturday kicks off the countdown to EFC 78 at Grand West in Cape Town. Get the full story on the star athletes contesting for EFC Gold. 
when champions collide as JP Base takes on Lutando Pico. Plus, Ngazmilo Zulu goes to war with his biggest threat to date, England's Jake Hadley. It is the countdown to EFC Cape Town. EFC, every Saturday at 8 p.m. on SABC3. Brought to you by SABC Sport for the love of the game. SAFM, leading the conversation. Tweet at SAFM Radio and at Chris Vic 3 Jay, I just want to bring you here, Jay Naidu, uh, former trade unionist, former cabinet minister. If if you were a minister in the South African cabinet now, <laughs> what what would you be advising government to do? There's this amazing medical potential that Lucy talks about. There's all sorts of societal potentials, potential, and yet there's the law that Andrew talks about. There's the big pharma interests, big pharma as in pharmacy, not people who grow this stuff. There's a range of vested interests um, already kind of eyeing this as a potential. How, how do you deal with a situation like this, which feels regulated, but the regulations are a bit strange, and yet there's tremendous development potential? I think the development potential is enormous, particularly for transforming rural areas. It's estimated that anywhere between half a million to a million people that grow cannabis in the Ponderlands, KZN, Lesotho, and large parts of our country that survive on the incomes they get and support millions of their dependents on this. And and so for me, this is a phenomenal economic transformation that can take place if the regulations and the licensing process incorporates what are the traditional mm. custodians of this plant, people that have been planting it for hundreds and hundreds of years. Now, you know, I come out of the trade union movement. You know, people couldn't buy blue label whiskey. Most workers, when they wanted to to relax, smoked uh, smoked cannabis. And, and so I come out of a, a tradition where, you know, cannabis was seen as a day-to-day reliever of stress, mm. particularly of a hard day at the coalface. Uh, secondly, I think that this, if you look at the work of Sangomas and the hundreds of thousands of Sangomas in this country, traditionally in every pharmacy of a Sangoma is the cannabis plant. If you go to the rural areas, you'll see, you know, the, 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 the traditions there that are indigenous always incorporate the use of cannabis in, in creating healing potions that solve things like when you're going into winter. In fact, even treating animals. So, I think for me, what I've understood here, and particularly since Lucy has done the research on it, one, it saved her life and mm. saved us enormous stress in the house because it's, it, you know, people don't talk about menopause. It's a hidden disease. I never understood this until I experienced it because we share a bed. So I look at it and I look at this tremendous opportunity. My concern is that this is another sector which is worth billions of dollars that will be hijacked by major pharmaceutical companies, by our political elites, and exclude the, the, the traditional custodians of this plant. So uh, my advice would be how does one legalize uh, cannabis in a way that gives equity to people that live in the rural areas and that historically have grown this? Mm-hmm. You know, I would look at it almost like you know, I've worked with people that grow coffee in East Africa as part of a global campaign uh, that we I was the chair of and dealing with malnutrition. I, I worked with groups in, in, in India that produce coffee. And it's the same thing, is that how do we create a system, an economic system, where the growers are still part of the value chain, where we can support them, mentor them, include them, you know, in terms of, the type of extension services to improve quality, to improve grading, to a point where we ensure that the, the, the product that is used to produce the medicine is organic, is of high quality. Now, this could be a tremendously you know, huge way of radically changing the economy and mm-hmm. transforming mm-hmm. the economy of our rural areas. So the design of the system of the law, the policy, the regulation, the institutional setup should be directed towards benefiting the people that have been historically custodians of this plant and also people that are excluded from the economy at the moment. So it's a, it's a form of green economic empowerment. In a sense it's an absolute about. form of economic mm-hmm. empowerment. Mm-hmm. And if handled correctly, it doesn't enrich these people that are coming, major companies that are coming from 
Canada or coming from Israel or coming from many other countries that are just looking at profit. And this is a medicine. It is a deeply indigenous sacred plant. And it's something that supports millions of people. How do we prioritize those people? And those communities. The, the number to dial, if you'd like to give us a, have a chat with us, oh eight nine one one zero four two zero seven. You can WhatsApp a voice note, a nice clean one, if you don't mind. Oh six one four one zero four one zero seven. Lucy, are there examples in other parts of the world of of a cannabis oil industry or a cannabis industry per se? developing in a developmental way where there's an element of commercialization but you're protecting the growers you're in a sense making sure that 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 the people who do most of the work get the benefits from that no 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 is that because that's of big big farmer <laughs> yes and, uh, that's a very simple answer as you see in canada it is uh it's been legal medically legal since 2003 but to treat seven symptoms I'm not, and, and at one of my cannabis clinic, I change now, uh, the nurse of the cannabis clinic, when I said, well, actually the oil works for me, you know, that's what takes away all my symptoms, because they give me a bud, I said, it's like giving me an egg, and you want a chicken, here's an egg, you know, I have to transform it, and she said, you're not allowed to heal like that, mm. I said, but that's how I, he- that's how I heal, so they, they're part of, they're still part of the system, and Right now, there's things like happening, like in the United States, one of my friends went there to treat her child has Dravet syndrome, who's like two, three hundred epileptic fits a day, and now he has none with cannabis oil. And she was paying $2,000 a year for her treatment. Well, the FDA just approved the treatment, a CBD. It's $32,000 a year now. The same quantity, the same oil, the same thing. So there's a, a tremendous um, greed going on. And um, why I'm not allowed to heal by cannabis oil? Because I'm not allowed to to um, go into competition with Big Pharma. Why is it not right now in the hospitals and used to treat when no one can die of it, no one ever died of cannabis, and the only people that have died of an overdose of THC is from synthetic THC from mm-hmm. Monsanto. Mm-hmm. Those are, they're trying to copy. Why are they trying to copy a plant that's no good, that they say? I guess it's so they you can know? own it. Yeah, yeah. they can own uh. it, and now people are dying. Leave the plant. It's a perfect plant. As it, as it is, it works. I've seen people cure, and, but the thing is, it is so much greed and corruption. We have a minister in Canada, even an ex-prime minister, who was against it, and now they're making millions out of it they are not the people growing and some you have two buds identical one is legal and one is illegal you were talking what do you how do you legalize it i have a plan uh, who am i to say so no, but tell us, yeah, my, tell us. my plan is there's cannabis growing everywhere okay so you have collection points you test three things one is it organic if there's no pesticide insecticide herbicide in the plant it's good two what kind is it sativa is it indica is it hybrid whatever and three what is the level of the cannabinoids? How much THC? Under 10%, recreational. Over 10%, medicinal. You wouldn't have a shortage like there is right now, a shortage of legal cannabis in, in, in Canada. The fields are full of organic, beautiful cannabis. It's just not the right person that signed the right sheet and doesn't have the right friend in the right political arena. It's, it's, it's ridiculous what's happening. Is, is there a social movement in, in Canada or elsewhere in the world around cannabis oil? Because for me, I, I mean, that's a question I want to put to Jay as well, is is it possible to make it an issue, a social movement issue to I campaign love, around? Yes, I love your question. And yesterday, I'm part of the board now. We created in Quebec, and it's the first one, and not allowed to have another one, the co-op, the cannabis co-op of Quebec. It's been created yesterday to address these issues, to start voicing our concerns about how it's, it's happening and to uh, ensure the accessibility of good quality cannabis to anyone that desires to treat themselves with that. If you have a doctor telling you you're not allowed to heal like that, that's against the Hippocratic Oath. You should strip him of his license. If you're healing with a plant, the doctor should say, oh, you healed. Oh, let's see. Let's investigate. Let's try. There's a huge resistance, and that's wrong. Jay? Well, absolutely. I mean, if you take the figure that's been thrown around in Southern Africa, more than a million growers, I mean... You know, I had some interaction with with these growers, particularly because I, I could see what was happening in Canada and California and, and Colorado and places like that. And I saw a tremendous economic benefit. And so 
But these growers are the ones that have been harassed and been attacked and have been glycophosphate being dropped from police helicopters mm, onto mm. their crops, not just you know, contaminating cannabis, but contaminating mm. everything they grow, including their animals and damaging the health of people. So this is where even state agencies get you know, harnessed into crushing competition to those that are more politically connected. And that's what we've got to avoid. And ultimately, my advice to them is organize yourselves. The Pondoland has never been defeated, even in, mm. in, in the worst of colonial times or even apartheid. You know, and those were the strongest you know, uh, warriors that we had in the union movement. But this, they should organize themselves into a national cannabis union. They should be demanding a say in how the legislative process proceeds. They should be demanding a say in terms of an empowerment angle to it. You know, it's like rooibos. You know, rooibos is a indigenous plant of the Khoisan people, you know, and, and, and they should be demanding a stake, an equity stake in that. So this is where I think that if government is just going to listen to big pharma, to listen to those that are already empowered, to those that are just looking at it from a business point of view and profit point of view, have no understanding of the sacredness of the plant, of its medicinal value, then yes, we will lose the plot. It will become like what BE became mm. in this country. Mm. So we have this opportunity. And this is where my, my appeal to, to, to people that have been involved in this plant, organize yourselves. Because you should have a say in what the law should say. But presumably it, it also intersects with issues of land, uh, tribal leadership, etc. I mean, it's a very complex issue. And I guess the difficulty, as we've seen with mining rights in, in, in parts of the Eastern Cape, is that the dominant voice, the ones who lobby government most successfully, are the ones who ultimately get their way. Um, Andrew, have you, in terms of the, of the changes to the law, I mean, has social pressure made a difference? I know that there was a constitutional court case that your practice was involved with. Does it send a signal? Does it give us an indication that lobbying, um, community-based protest, even if it's the Dacha Party couple, yeah. that if people do mobilize themselves, they can influence the legal framework and they can influence the future of such an important product? Well, look, I mean, a lot of what went into the decisions in both the High Court and the Constitutional Court was based on, on public policy. Um, public policy is, well, it's informed by the Constitution, but it's it's in short, how society feels about something. And that always finds its way into constitutional court judgments, especially when we're talking about changing such significant and old laws. So, yeah, certainly um, public policy um, or public pressure certainly plays a role. And on that point, um, you wanted to talk about the community getting involved. Post the constitutional court judgment, Parliament has been given two years in which to change the laws um, or to rewrite the laws in their own words. So Parliament now has to give effect to what the Constitutional Court has said, that you can use, cultivate, and possess cannabis in private if you're an adult. Because we have a separation of powers, Parliament has to write that in their own words. So there will be a public participation process in which we can do just that. We can lobby for certain regulations. We can suggest certain regulations. I mean, they've been mandated to go a certain distance, but mm -hmm. there's nothing preventing them from going further. So there's a two-year window, essentially, for, Two. for some serious pressure, mobilization. Absolutely. So when the time comes, they'll um, advertise in the Government Gazette, but um, it, we'll make a big deal of it at, at Schindler's. I mean, law firms um, will be all over it. Commun uh, community setups like the CDC will be um, having their say. So really, yeah, there is actually a chance to, to mobilize, to, to gather, and to make representations to the lawmakers. Um, how that will turn out, I, I can't make any predictions on, but it's it's an opportunity. It is an opportunity for our voices to be heard. Lucy? Yes, you see, Chris, this is much more than a fight to legalize a medicinal plant or recreate a plant. It's a fight for social justice mm -hmm. because, as you can see, it's holistic and it involves many sectors of society. When you're faced with the choice to heal illegally or die legally, you know that the system is wrong. And this is, that's why we have to legalize it by keeping in mind everyone that is involved in this. And already uh, there are people here from Canada and Israel, my country and Israel, amongst others, and are doing deals that are not in towards the social justice avenue. What sort of deals? <clears throat> Grabbing land, 
taking people off, uh, growing cannabis uh, without um, the um, the fastest possible, without um, the proper like chemical pr fertilizer, not organic. It's just in there for the money. It's not in there for the cause, for why are you doing this? Is it to make money or to heal people? Because if it's to make money, we'll be faced again with the same problem we, we have with the big pharma. Mm -hmm. it, if you have to do it to heal, because this plant heals people, and that the big pharma doesn't like because they've been shown now that two-thirds of the people that treat themselves with cannabis leave all big pharma medication. We don't need anything else. And about 80% of our diseases are curable with cannabis then we have to change our mindset. So it's this, it's everything. It's the economic system. It's the way we think. It's the way we are. It's our compassion. It's our values. It's our integrity. But isn't, isn't part of the issue the bad press that, that weed gets anyway? I mean, do you find, I, I, so there is a big pharma issue. There are, there are people who are getting into the space, but it's fairly easy to just discredit the concept because, it's Dacher, yes. man. Mm -hmm. And I've seen the reports and even in the Canadian Broadcasting Corporation or big BBC or whatever, the ones that are have credible and say, no, if you smoke this, uh, you can become schizophrenic or psychosis. Here we have a story. What they don't say, it's under 1%. It's people that already have problems and have you have to carry a certain gene and smoke it before a certain age. And that what they don't say also is that gene can be woken up by sniffing glue, by drinking alcohol, by having a head traumatism. So it's not the cannabis mm, the problem mm. we don't it's like it's the reefer madness that movie in 1936 yeah. it's that trail of the propaganda that's still there even from doctors yesterday a doctor said to one of a patient that phoned me and said he told me if i, t I take cancer i might get uh, if i take cannabis i might get cancer they don't know what they're saying mm. we've got a call a songezo from pretoria welcome to the show Good evening, Chris. I trust you are well. You are doing a fantastic job. And, it's um, you, Songezo. They're going to say, they're gonna say I paid you to call in, man. Why are you calling in? Because <laughs> what they said, the point is you haven't. And in any event, even if you had, you are still doing nonetheless a great job. <laughs> Thank you very much. Are very quickly, Chris, mm -hmm. I really want to just hop on the point that I think it's Jay Naidu who made earlier on in terms of this being a potential economic driver of the economy. And this really, from a systemic perspective, offers an opportunity for whoever will be in the sixth administration to just try and get one thing right in this country. Start something from concept, incubate it, develop mm -hmm. it, and actually roll it out properly. There is so much negativity in terms of governance in this country. This is, albeit in a strange way, an invitation for all the necessary stakeholders to come together, get one thing right, and just free up so much of the country's potential. We talk about, for instance, the restitution of land. We talk about land expropriation without compensation. I can very well bet you, to an extent, you'll be able to settle these land debates by identifying a community, running a pilot project through government funds and through the stakeholders who are in studio with you right now who are clearly very schooled on the subject, and roll it out properly, and then be able to solve this concept properly to the South African masses and the public at large in terms of this is how government can work with all the affected stakeholders, but in particular addressing the social ills in this country on the one end, and secondly, changing the entire concept of what we understand to be marijuana, more than it being this thing that is a socially regressive drug, but more importantly, it saves lives, and we've got a live testimony in studio right now that's sort of what it's on this Good point, Sangeza. Thanks very much for the call. Jay? I haven't seen it in any election manifestos. Um, number one, uh, I think Songhez is right. I mean, it is an obvious issue to start uh, campaigning around. But the other, the other issue, and it's kind of linked to the point I was making with Lucy, is that if there is a political candidate, it's the Dacha Party, and that's very much a recreational argument by the look of mm. it. Um, do you see a gap there? I mean, is there a gap? Should political parties be embracing this? Well, I think they're terrified. <laughs> you know, it's, uh, they're so risk-averse, and, and largely because there's not enough sufficient, there's not sufficient pressure from the bottom up uh, to make it an election issue, and it's too late to make it an election issue now. But I think what Songhezo is saying is absolutely right, mm -hmm. because we can transform our rural areas. We can empower a whole generation of, of growers uh, that will address not just the growing of cannabis, but also the broader nutritional 
nature of agriculture, mm. which will have to be driven in the direction of ecological type of, 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 of agriculture. Because what we do know is that climate change is a reality today. You know, the scientists are giving us 12 years mm. before things become exponential and beyond our control to bring it back to normalcy. And, and what are we going to do? We're handing a, you know, a sort of poison pill to a future generation. So I, I would say that his suggestion is extremely important. And, and I would look at almost like an, an, an example of coffee that I worked with tens of thousands of coffee farmers in the northern part of Andhra Pradesh in, in, in a valley called Araku, who used to get something like 50 cents a kilogram for their coffee until this NGO came in, Nandi Foundation, and worked systematically with these farmers. And today they've planted 20 million you know, mango trees. They are completely built entrepreneurship through a co-op structure that people have been able to, you know, take the coffee and it could, you know, like Lucy has said, the coffee is supported through extension offices that have improved the quality. They've created grading facilities. They're now marketing internationally an Araku brand of coffee. And they are shareholders of this. So imagine if we could get have a government or the next government saying our priority is dealing with the forgotten, invisible people of this country who live in rural areas. And our priority is going to be giving them a huge slice of this medicinal cannabis market. And we are going to put these supply-side measures and this funding and this support to them. Imagine the economic mm. boom that mm. we would see in those areas, the type of ecosystems that will arise. So I am very much in favor of that, and I think it requires political will and courage. Definitely, Lucy. Yes, and this man, what he, what he was saying is absolutely right, because um, uh, South Africa is already recognized in the world as a hub to come and cure with cannabis oil. Really? Uh, people That's come from all over the world mm. to cure. So it's already happening. All has to do is bring at the surface. It's already happening underground. South Africa could be the leader of the world for medicinal cannabis because it has the best in the world. Let's take another call. Mr. Lambo in Fandabel Park. Welcome to the show. Hello. How are you? I'm very good. Thank you for calling in. Okay, fine. What's okay. on your mind? Okay, what is in my mind is, okay, right, uh, what can we do with the elephant in the room? Because now, at the moment, we do have a person who is, I mean, has got an interest, I mean, the pharmaceutical. The pharmaceutical, they're getting a lot of money, and they're preventing the government. They've got a stack. They eat, and we've got their own people. They are preventing the people from, I mean, taking all these, I mean, uh, I mean, initiations, even from the cancer medication. If if the government wants to buy cheap medica medication from India, the pharmaceutical, they prevent it. Now, the same in cannabis, the same as well. Even if the government wants to train the rural people, who are I mean, into midwifery. You know, some people in the rural people, they just give better. I mean, they don't go to the hospital. Mm. But because the pharmaceutical, I mean, it's into it. They do cesarean and so forth. And now they prevent in the, I mean, um, the government from going into, I mean, initiation, uh, in initiating these things which should be done. Now, what can we do to prevent these people who have got roots, I mean, to prevent, I mean, the development of the people because they are into monitor funds. Good call, Mr. Mlambo. Thanks. We're going to take a couple of voice notes and then we'll try and wrap up some of the issues that have come up in the last 45 minutes. Evening, please, to you and your listeners and, and the other listeners that are listening. What a great, great, great topic to speak about. And if I, if I, I could remember, the, the, the guy was in... in an an IFP uh, MP who died, who died with the, the research in his hands, telling telling us how how powerful cannabis is in healing. So what 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 a great topic! What a great topic for people to, to it's for the people. What a great topic! Uh, I give thanks uh, to the former minister. Master Jane, I do. 
for realizing because if I rem- realizing that marijuana is good. I, re- I remember during uh, uh, the time of Mr. Mandela when the, the Minister of uh, Correctional Services at the time uh, 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 was still the Minister of Correctional Services, he proposed that uh, to let the prisoners to smoke marijuana to become but he was immediately removed after saying that uh, I think it's Manasta Mzimela who was an IFP member at the time he was removed after advocating that prisoners use marijuana to become and uh, good so marijuana is the future I give thanks for you thank you Senuna Matiata from Kimberley couple of interesting points there. I don't remember a minister calling for prisoners to be allowed to smoke marijuana, Jay, do you? Uh, he made a number of strange comments, but uh, it might be. It's a strange, it's a strange concept. I, the point about Mario Ambrosini is interesting, though. Yes. I, mean, he, I, I interviewed him shortly before he died. Um, he was having to fly to Italy for his treatment. He was using suppositories. I, I don't think he was um, taking it orally. And it was incredibly distressing to hear this really ill man, and and he really tried. He fight, he fought in Parliament very actively, fought in Parliament to try and get the legislation changed, mm. and and I think pioneered the way for this conversation. Oh, absolutely, Ambrosini was a pioneer, and uh, and therefore, you know, how we handle the legalization should be in line with what he said that this was a tremendously healing medicinal plant and so yes you know as Lucy had said you know because we have to deal with regulation we have to deal with it transparently it has to be rules that apply to it so it's not you know it's as you had said Lucy it's not for people that you know you have to qualify in terms of age but I think that you know it's like with any any other you know medicine in the market you know there are some people that will have adverse reactions to it you know, it's penicillin does that, you know, and... 10% of people die if they take penicillin, <laughs> and it's legal, you know. You know, so, and I think that this notion that this is a gateway drug is is, is false. Because I, I think that, you know, Narpeer and tick and alcohol itself causes millions of deaths and causes road accidents, gender violence. You know, you look at smoking, causes 7 million deaths mm, in the world. Mm. So yes, it requires to be regulated, but at the same time, we have to accept that the streets are far ahead of the of the parliaments. Yeah, yeah. You know, people are treating themselves, you know, and when you face with a choice of, you know, healing illegally or mm-hmm. dying legally, uh, well, who wouldn't choose healing yeah, exactly. illegally? So, yes, we need greater transparency, greater rules, much more education on this matter. But ultimately, nothing can take away the, the absolute truth that there's tremendous medicinal value in this. And if you look at hemp, which has no THC, I mean, we could replace an entire, you know, climate-changing construction industry by using hemp because it can make it can make houses, it can make wood, it can make clothes, it can make CBD oil. There are hundred uses of hemp besides restoring lands that have been poisoned by chemicals. So this whole family of cannabis, which includes hemp, has tremendous economic and social value. And if we just will open up our eyes and take away the demonization that has been driven ra- mainly by racial mm-hmm. and political and mm. economic reasons. Mm. And like in, 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 in South Africa, it was banned because white people didn't want to see black people relaxing and being calm and enjoying themselves. You know, it was a, a white privilege that. So it, the same thing in the United States because it was to, to counter the, what they cause of the Mexican threat. So this demonization is real, but exactly we need the right regulations. We need greater transparency. We need a lot more education. And we could become the hub, a global hub mm. for people treating themselves with, with, with uh, cannabis and think of the ma- a major economic value of that. But as Lucy says, it's actually happening already, right? Yeah. I mean, that's the Absolutely. reality. It's almost underground. Let's take another caller, Carly in Durban. Welcome to the show. Uh, it's Kari, S-A-U-L-L-Y. I'm sorry uh, about Good that. evening to you and good evening to Jay Nider there. Dr. Jay Nider, I would say. And uh, thank you for, for coming on to the show, Dr. Uh, Mr. Nider. Um, I think it's a, it's, it's a grand topic. Um, 
the World Conference on Naval Issues had a conference in uh, South Africa in the 80s, mid-80s. And they say we have the God-given gift of the soil to grow it. And, uh, uh, but we're not using it potentially. No, there's so much of things besides the medicinal use that uh, marijuana can be put to. You know? uh, man, there's a lot to be said, but uh, thank you for the topic, you know. Uh, and education. Education and education, as Mr. Jane I said. Exactly you know what I'm that. saying? Thank you very thank much you. for the call. We really appreciate you know, it. Great of you to call in. Let's take a quick break. We'll come back, wrap up, and uh, move on to the next hour. SABC Sports celebrates the great Ephraim Matilela Sono, better known as Jomo Sono, one of the most famous South African footballers of all time, both as a player and a coach. He grew up in Soweto, where he found himself playing for his late father's team, Orlando Pirates. Rajay gained fame for his all-round ability, dribbling and accurate passing skills. Never in the history books of soccer there's been a team that has been relegated three times. Promoted three times? Relegated with the same coach, Jomo, three times? Promoted with the same Jomo, three times? Nicknamed the Black Prince of South African Soccer, Jomana, former Bafana Bafana mentor, occupies the hero's chair this Sunday on Playing for the Coach. Catch Jomo Cosmos founder and coach Jomo Sono on SABC1 at half past two. SABC Sport for the love of the game. This Saturday kicks off the countdown to BFC 78 at Grand West in Cape Town. Get the full story on the star athletes contesting for EFC Gold. When champions collide as JP Base takes on Lutando Pico plus Gazmilo Zulu goes to war with his biggest threat to date, England's Jake Hadley. It is the countdown to EFC Cape Town. EFC, every Saturday at 8pm on SABC3. Brought to you by SABC Sport. For the love of the game. SAFM 104 to 107 nationwide. Chris Vick on The Viewpoint. Welcome back to the show. I hope you're still with us. hope you're concentrating. It's a very important topic. And I think we've uncovered a lot of interesting information about cannabis for medicinal use. After the news, we're going to talk a little bit about cannabis for other uses. Um, you would probably be just as interested in that. Andrew's going to stay with us. We're going to have to let Lucy and Jay go just before 9 o'clock. But Lucy, just to get practical, right, um, how do they make cannabis oil? So and, how do, and how do you know you're getting the good stuff? Because yes. presumably they're going to be I've done moonshine my, <laughs> versions. I've done my shopping and, I, and uh, the people I meet, I, I need to see a lab report uh, because there's too much junk going around. It's really terrible, and that's why we need regulation. So I've seen the lab reports, and I've tested it myself. I use my body to test it uh, before recommending it to anyone. My body tells me uh, in 90 minutes if it's a good oil or not. But I, I'm So they put the plant in some kind, that's the problem, in some kind of solvent. Some use butane, which is terrible. Wow. So um, you can use uh, 100% food-grade alcohol or ethanol. There's a few ways, and there's a new machine now, a CO2 extraction which mm-hmm. would be amazing so there's no solvent involved and then you just uh, evaporate you soak it for a few minutes and you evaporate that and you 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 get the oil and uh, I did Jay was talking of education I did write a book it's a, it's not an essay on on cannabis it's a political satire but after my a few years of research I did sex pot and politics which is available here because I myself would not have picked up a book on cannabis or any of my friends suffering from multiple mm. sclerosis either but a political satire, let's have fun. Let's, but all the information in that is true about the cannabis. And I do talk about the edibles and I do talk the difference about um, the different forms to take the, the, the medication. So it, depending what you suffer from, sometimes you have to smoke it. A Parkinson person it will stop shaking like that in two puffs. Mm. Uh, but if you, like me, I have to ingest it. It has to go in my body. And um, yeah. I've, I've heard of people who put drops under their tongue. I mean, mm-hmm. you can have, how, how do you find out the best way? I mean, is it a case of trial and error? It, it is. Uh, so the FECO, full extract cannabis oil, that, that big black gooey stuff you get out of the plant, then that you use it like I make my own tablets. with. I mix it with cannabis, uh, with uh, coconut oil. Mm-hmm. So it depends uh, what kind. Of, it took me four days to find my dosage because I take a little bit at night, a second, a bit more, a bit more. And then in the morning when I have no more symptoms, oh, that's my dosage. It took me four days. And that's how I, 
uh, the people. The 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 it's trial and error, but uh, you just uh, increase until until you got no more symptoms. Except if you have cancer, for example, then it's a specific. It's a thousand milligrams of cannabis oil per day with a vegan alkaline diet. Um, depending on the cancer, is either suppository or oral or a hybrid treatment, depending where your cancer is. So it depends on your what you have. And there's tinctures. There's uh, the feco. There's just a CBD. There's sometimes you can extract just the CBN. So there's many ways to to uh, work with the plant. Can, can you use it on your skin as well? Do yes, uh, we have a friend that that cured his skin cancer after two weeks of just putting direct feco on on the the sore. He had been trying to treat it for six months yeah. with his doctor. Two weeks it was gone, and he has no more cancer. Uh, people sometimes <laughs> worry they're going to get high when they're doing this. I mean, do you get high? Well, in the beginning, you have to increase your to- you have to develop your tolerance to THC. It takes about two to four weeks if you need THC. In my case, I do. It's my medicine. Uh, but then after, like, uh, you don't, you're not, no, you're not high, your body, but you're, it does the work anyway. Some people, if they really can't build up their tolerance, they'll use suppositories. In that case, it's not processed by, li- by the, the liver, so it doesn't go to the head, but it does its medicinal job anyway. So there's many different forms to use the cannabis. Andrew, in terms of the work you're doing, I mean, presumably, let's imagine a state where we could buy, we could walk into clicks and buy some cannabis oil. Presumably, there's a huge amount of work to be done from a legal point of view in terms of dosage, in terms of information, etc. Is the thinking that far ahead? I mean, is there work being done essentially to protect consumers from bad stuff, to help them use the good stuff properly? Well, yes. Um, the the five-year process that I, I spoke about earlier um, which any medicine in South Africa has to go through. And I say five years because that's really as bad as it can get. That process is designed to do just that, to weed out snake oil, to ensure that by the time something um, hits a pharmacy, it's consistent, it's of a high quality, um, people know what's in it, they know how to use it. Um, but in that five-year process, it, it can be shortened um, by using clinical data from uh, jurisdictions such as Canada, where they've got libraries of, of, of clinical tested data. So that can speed the process up, but it still does take an extremely long time. So there's no reason why it has to take that long notionally. But, um, yeah, the machinery that's in place right now really isn't suited to cannabis. It's not conducive to it. Um, hence why we expect to see a lot of changes to the legisla- legislation and are going to be lobbying along with uh, many other groups to, to see that happen. I okay. think, you know, I think that one thing we should avoid because who does that give an advantage mm. to? Of course, it's got to be clinically proven, and there, there's, there's sufficient empirical evidence now. Israel is one of the biggest research centers for decades on, on, on cannabis, and they've proven it. And <clears throat> so I think that it's really important in the way we're designing legislation, and if we're saying it's medicinal, who does it give advantage mm. to? Mm. And is it a complementary, uh, you know, uh, help, you know, healing plant yes so i think one should go on the empirical evidence of how it's been used up to now by even traditional healers to what is the anecdotal evidence what is the scientific evidence that is available from every jurisdiction and you know we cannot use this medical process clinical process to then exclude people that have been exactly. the original custodians yeah. of the sacred. A very good chat. Thank you very much. We're going to squeeze in a minute of Ella Fitzgerald. After that, we'll have the news with Greg Hose. Nobody knows how trouble goes round and round me. Oh, I'm all alone with no one to pet me. But old rocking chair ain't never going to get me because when I get low, oh, oh, oh. 